Trouble with Transformation, a serialised podcast by Alison Whip. Chapter 7, A Riddle in the Dark. We bought tickets for the 6.30 session of Acts of Doom 2. The plan was to sneak out 15 minutes into the movie, leaving us with plenty of time to walk to the school oval and check out the message tree. You'd like the glitz, I think. It's about the same size as the cinema we used to go to in Ilfracombe, but a lot more flashy. Which, if you knew Queensland, is what you'd expect. The entrance has a flashbulb trim, and the building is bubblegum pink. Pink! Yeah, it's a bit much. But I know you'd love the plush red seats and wooden concertina doors. It hardly ever rains here, but when it does, it chucks it down. If you sit in just the right spot, the occasional drip leaks through. So, of course, this is where Danny and I sat. Even though it wasn't raining. Even though we'd only catch the start. It went pretty smoothly, right up to the point where we were leaving the cinema. As we stepped through the front door, a flash of silver caught my eye. I grabbed Danny's shirt collar and yanked him back. Oi! What'd you do that for? Look! I said with a jerk of my thumb. It's Mr. B. He must have decided to wait for us. Mr. B's silver hire car was parked across the road, and he was lying in the front passenger side, seat fully reclined. I angled myself to peer through the windshield. Mr. B's eyes were closed. He's having a little kip, the cheeky monkey. Quick, let's go. I shifted my grip on Danny's shoulder and nudged him forward. We scurried down the steps of the cinema and bolted around the corner. That got my blood pumping, Danny said, slowing his pace to a brisk walk. I fell in beside him. Yeah, I hope he stays asleep long enough for us to sneak back in. The night air was suffocating. I've never really gotten used to that ick feeling of having a layer of sweat between skin and clothes. That sensation of someone sitting on your chest because there's too much water in the air and you can't get to the oxygen. The evenings are beautiful, though. Great brushstrokes of orange and yellow, plunging toward the horizon like a death-spiralling plane. Sun's setting fast, Danny said, as we hurried toward the school. Lucky we've got our phones. He casually flicked his phone torch on and off. I pulled a slim silver mag light from my pocket and waggled it at Danny. We may be needing this soon. He frowned. Hey, you didn't have that when we first went in. I laughed, twirling the torch around my wrist. Do you think they'll miss it? Oh, gee, you didn't. Now, Dad, I don't want you to get any ideas that I'm some sort of delinquent. I was planning on putting it back. It's just, with all this random stuff going on, I felt as though I needed to be on my toes. And what can I say? A fine sleight of hand tricks soothing. You can blame Mr. Bell for that. He's the one who taught me. It was just sitting here on the desk, not getting any use. Poor bored Torchy will have more fun with us, won't you, my dear? I switched on the torch and shone the light under my chin. <laughs> Ginger, Danny said, struggling to pull off a smile. His eyes were shiny, nervous shiny. He could be such a scaredy-cat sometimes. 
relax, I said, pocketing the torch. The streets around were well lit, so there was no need for it at the moment. It's Bottlenose Beach. Nothing ever happens here. The school gate was dutifully locked, but the fence only reached shoulder height. The cross-hatched links were practically made for climbing. A scramble of legs and we were over, heading toward the sport oval and the message tree, the massive red gum down by the oval. Everyone calls it that because it's covered with scribblings, loves, hates. The entire social history of the school is recorded on that tree. Whoever sent that cookie must have known about the message tree. I remembered what Danny said about Brian and braced myself for the possibility this was all some perverse game of his. We skidded across the school lawn, lightheaded from the humidity. Away from the streetlights and the comforting hum of traffic, the schoolyard was dark and eerily quiet, just a soft chorus of crickets and frogs. An eye-watering stench of blood and bone fertiliser wafted across the flower beds, punching us between the eyes. Poch, I whispered. Smells like roadkill here. Let's get going. As we stepped onto the oval, a loud hiss warned us off. Snake! I jumped backwards, colliding with Danny, taking us down in a tangle of arms and legs. The hiss trembled and shuddered into a whoosh, a lawn sprinkler word to life, flexing its mechanical muscles, shooting jets of water in a wide arc. I caught a cold shot of water across the shins, giving me head-to-toe goosebumps. Quick! Run for it! My feet clicked into gear, breaking into a sprint. I wasn't waiting round to get soaked. I glanced over my shoulder. Danny was trying to follow, but his feet kept slipping. Uh Uh-oh! I clapped a hand over my mouth to hide the grin. Shut up! Finally, he got some traction and caught up. The frog noises were drowned out by the shush-shush of the sprinkler and the squeak of our shoes as we skidded across the grass. Next thing you know, we're on the other side of the oval, standing in front of the message tree. I switched on the mag light and shot it round. No one was there. I shot Danny a questioning look. He stared into the blue light glow of his phone and said, It's seven now. We're right on time. Five minutes later, I was getting twitchy. Danny distracted me by whispering little stories. The guys he thought would make the football squad this year. His plan to invent something useful for society and scalable for his science fair entry. Don't ask me where he gets this sort of speak. I think maybe he watches too many Californian tech blogs. Fifteen minutes later, my patience for hearing the details of Chad McLeod's humiliating own goal last season was wearing thin. I don't think they're coming, Danny said, sensing my imminent meltdown. There was a hint of relief in there. I shot him a dark look. I'm glad someone feels like their Friday night hasn't been a total waste of time. I pointed the mag light at the dark spaces between trees. What's the big idea? If it's meant to be a joke, the rotten jerk could at least turn up to call prank. Danny used his own piddly phone torch to comb the area, probably to avoid having to look me in the eye and say what we were both thinking. That Brian had set me up and was hiding off to the side somewhere, killing himself with laughter at my expense. My torchlight dimmed from bright yellow to sickly orange, 
And just like striking a match, some ugly smouldering thought, something I'd buried deep, caught a light and ripped through me like a bushfire on a windy day. This sucks! Danny nodded, but I was only warming up. I'm sick of all this crap. The notes? The meeting? All of it. Terry with his magnificent machine, turning us into media fugitives, cutting us off from everything. Gee, I'm so... I'm... I'm so... Danny started, but I was on a roll. Brian and his power trip and grabby fingers. The fishes, always looking for something bigger and better to latch onto. It's freaking exhausting. And painful. There was a burning, raw feeling in my chest. I'm so, so sick of dancing to everyone else's tune, never being the one in control. I threw the torch on the ground and punched the message tree. Hard. So hard the cartilage in my fingers squished into the joints. My bones silently screamed. Ugh! Tears sprang to my eyes. Stupid knuckles. Stupid absent fathers. Are you okay? Danny swung his torch round. He hovered the spotlight over my reddened knuckles. That was a pretty silly thing to do, he said gently. I drew my hand to my chest, sagging against the tree. I think I need therapy. He smiled. I think most people do. I can't believe it. I can't believe we came here for nothing. I pulled my phone out and switched on the torch, tilting my hand this way and that under the beam. Jeez, I said, stomach roiling at the watery ooze of blood. I reckon I left my own layer of bark on that trunk. I was kidding, but we both turned our torches to the tree, lighting up the spot where my fist struck a moment ago. Danny ducked under a branch and leaned in to examine it. Hey, look here. What do you make of that? I closed my good hand over my throbbing one, stepping closer to the tree. It was covered in carvings. Kyle Hart's Lily Forever. Fran is Fugly. All the regular stuff. Some of the messages were decades old, and so worn down, only the whisper of letters remained. Some were relatively new, only a few weeks, days old even. One stood out from the rest. Partly because the letters were so violently gouged into the tree, the outer layers of bark had been hacked away like a coconut shell, revealing juicy green tree flesh. The other reason? I saw my name. Each word briefly illuminated as Danny ran the beam over the freshly carved sentence. Ginger Jones is fatter. Ginger Jones is fatter? I said, voice pitching. My face grew hot. Ginger Jones is fatter than who? It came as a whisper. Whom? What? I fixed Danny with a lethal eye. He focused on the tree. Hang on a moment, he said, shining his torch further down. Here. This looks like it was also carved tonight, but it's been scratched out. I scooted under Danny's arm and studied the tree for myself. At first glance, it appeared as though someone had stripped a rectangle of bark from the tree trunk. Nothing special. 
The message tree rules for love decreed at least one pair of initials be expunged on a weekly basis, a less painful form of tattoo removal. But this was different. These were numbers scratched out, and pretty haphazardly too. Usually when someone struck a name from the tree, they were pretty thorough. This was a rush job. Hold the phone steady, I instructed Danny. I'm going to try and make out what it says. I got up real close, squinting at the trunk with such intensity my eyes began to water. Ugh, it's no good. The light's not bright enough. As I glanced over at Danny, my eye caught movement. I turned just in time to catch something flitting between a pair of distant trees. There was a rustle, a big, person-sized rustle. Danny's eyes widened. We swivelled round to face the darkness. Brian? Brian, is that you? My voice drilled through the night. It held the breathy betrayal of fear. You coward! Come and say it to my face, why don't you? Danny placed a hand on my arm. His fingers were trembling. Or maybe it was me. That carving will still be there on Monday, he said. If there's something else to find, we'll see it better in daylight. I wasn't ready to give up the fight. I peered into the space between trees, straining to catch a glimpse of Brian, or maybe the Fisher twins. Brian wasn't one for doing his own dirty work. But there was nothing. The leaves were still. Whatever had gone down, we'd missed it. I cleared my throat, willing my voice to sound steadier than I felt. Fine, I'm done for tonight, but this isn't the end of it, not by a long shot. Mr B was still asleep when we came out of the cinema. Danny had to tap on the window a few times to wake him. Ugh, good movie? Mr Bell asked, his voice groggy. Yeah, you know, it was okay, Danny said as we climbed into the car. Danny's just being nice. It sucked, I added, earning a frown from Danny. We'd agreed to say as little as possible about the movie. Well, I guess it's a bit of escapism all the same, Mr B said. I catapulted myself onto the back seat with a thump. Sometimes you don't want to escape. Sometimes you just want something real. Mr B turned and smiled. Trust me on this one. You'll get plenty of reality when you get older, and then all you'll want to do is escape. Life isn't filled with heroes saving the day and neatly tied up endings. Yeah, don't I know it. I reached into my bag, popped a set of headphones on, and searched for the most bass-rumbling, heart-thumping music I could find. (laughs) 